Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. It's December 18th, 1892, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. What could be more Christmassy than a tale of a girl who befriends a nutcracker doll that comes to life and wages a battle against an evil mouse king? Well, plenty of things, obviously, which is part of why when Tchaikovsky was first approached about writing a ballet on the subject, he said no. But after a certain amount of cajoling, he finally relented. And so alongside jolly fat men and candy canes and stockings and snowmen and sleigh bells, the annual celebration of Jesus' birth got a new bit of entirely off-topic iconography, mustachioed Germanic prince nutcracker dolls. <laughs> so what happened today? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it was the day that uh, the Nutcracker opened at Mariinsky Theatre in St. Petersburg. But it, otherwise, it was a beautifully written introduction. I thought, you know, we could go fast and loose with this whole business now that we're approaching Christmas. <laughs> and Tchaikovsky did only really agree to it happening if it was part of a kind of double feature with Iolanta, which is incredible, isn't it? Because... I mean, I've never heard of Iolanta, have you? It's a one-act opera, apparently. And I feel like if you're going to the opera now, you want money, like you want bang for your buck. You don't want one act. Right. But I guess if you're already seeing a ballet first, you can <laughs> probably deal with like a slightly shorter opera as but, well. But not just any ballet. You're seeing the Nutcracker first. I mean, it right. goes on forever. You know, as Arian said, it's kind of got the whole kitchen sink chucked in it anyway in terms of set dressing. Well, that was what Tchaikovsky didn't like about it because really all of the story is in the first half and then the second half is just like fiddle dee diddle dee dee like we're in a land of candy canes, mm. etc. He actually wrote to the director of the Mariinsky Theatre who'd commissioned the piece in the first place and he said that, that you know, the premise is pretty infantile and how am I going to create drama out of this? He wrote, how the devil do you expect me to write music to express a kingdom of lollipops? <laughs> <laughs> and I, but to be fair, between the subject matter and also the choreographer was Marius Petipa who had written, because I, I didn't know anything about how ballets are you know, actually composed, but he had written explicit directions of exactly what each piece of music needed to convey down to the exact tempo and timing. So if you're Tchaikovsky, like you're not really getting a lot of space to express your genius. Yeah, it's hilarious. You look at the notes that Petipa wrote and they're things like, and this is literally what he wrote, an empty stage, the moon lights up the dining room through the window. This phrase is actually underlined twice. Uh, eight bars of mysterious and delicate music. Clara, in her nightdress, quickly returns to look at her darling nutcracker once again. Eight bars. Still more mysterious music for her entrance. Something frightens her. Two bars. So on it goes, on it goes. I like a brief. <laughs> Suddenly Tchaikovsky doesn't seem like such a genius. I could write this. I think Petipa was like waiting for AI music. Like that's what he really wanted. He didn't want to work with Tchaikovsky. That sounds like he was quite difficult. He wanted to like put in mysterious music. Yeah. Well, the other reason that it was uh, a brief that Tchaikovsky thought twice about was that 
He'd just come off the back of several poorly received ballets. He had done Swan Lake previously. Uh, Rubbish! And, yeah, <laughs> terrible. <laughs> and then uh, the same um, theatre owner, Ivan Vesevoloshki, he approached Tchaikovsky for the first time to do Sleeping Beauty, another rubbish one, obviously. And both of these were really badly received by the critics. And so I think Tchaikovsky was just like, why would I be getting myself back into this whole mess? It's obvious that ballet and I don't agree with one another. Uh, and so it really was, apart from the whole business of him not being certain about this story setting, he was also like, I'm just not sure that I want to be involved in ballet full stop. But actually, Sleeping Beauty had been a hit with the audience, which is why there was a sold-out uh, crowd on this day, because they loved the light-hearted kitsch fairy tale stuff, even if the critics didn't. Which again makes it kind of baffling as to why the Nutcracker was chosen as the story. I mean, I know it mm. kind of makes sense now. But if you think of this as kind of proto-Disney, right? There are other fairy stories to plunder. You know, Sleeping Beauty's been a hit. Do Cinderella. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But instead, they turned to this very obscure German short story from 1816. Now, in that version by E.T.A. Hoffman, there's a seven-headed mouse king, there's a rodent mother avenging her children's death. Again, very Christmas. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, but the material they were looking at was the version from 1844, which makes more sense, which was a version by Alexander Dumas, mm -hmm. which is the more familiar one, or it was then in Russia, and slightly more suitable for children. Uh, L'histoire d'une casse-noisette. What I find extraordinary, you know, as with our Little Orphan Annie episode, is that so soon after the original source material, it was okay for a novelist of that repute to just rip it off. Yeah. You know, did they not enforce intellectual property at all? <laughs> Less than 30 years after the original, he's just like, yeah, I'll nick that. I'll do a version but of that. But copyright wasn't important then. The important thing was having a genteel version of the story. Yeah. You know, if the original author didn't supply that, you could just rewrite it yourself. Just and just, like, you know, more lollipops, less seven-headed mouse kings. You know what I'll do? I'll write a novel and I'll call it E.T. It's been 40 years since that. What's the worst that could happen? Well, the other thing that happened surprisingly quickly was that uh, Tchaikovsky wrote it very quickly. He wrote it in just a few months and got this thing to a stage where, weirdly, he was happy to submit it but didn't actually like it very much himself. He said, and now it's all finished. Casenoisette is in all its ugliness done. Well, one of the reasons that he ended up writing it relatively quickly is that he left it to the last minute. You know, he really wasn't feeling inspired. And it seems like he really only got going when he went to the USA because he'd been invited to act as a conductor at the inauguration of Carnegie Hall. And then on the way home, he stopped in Paris where he encountered a new instrument. I love the days when you could just encounter <laughs> yeah. new instruments. Um, the, I want to say, are we saying Celeste? I, or are we saying Celeste? Okay, I would have just said Celeste. Yeah, well, I'm going to say Celeste. Uh-huh, yeah. go for it. Well, it looked <laughs> it's like... a new it, instrument. Yeah, it's a new instrument. Well, it's not, as far as I'm concerned, it's still a new instrument. I don't know that it fully caught on, but it resembled a piano and it sounded a bit like a glockenspiel and that's what he ended up using for the Sugar Plum Fairy. So that's... Da, 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 da. Da, 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 that kind of supernatural sound. Yeah, it's like, you know, plinky plonky. And I think that gave him a little bit of inspiration. He was like, well, at least I'm bringing something new. He had one brought to Russia because he didn't want any of his fellow composers noticing that there was this cool new instrument on the market. Yes, he wrote, I'm afraid Rimsky, Korsakov and Glazunov might hear of it and make use of the new effect before I could. <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> going to be writing about sugar plum fairies. Yeah. <laughs> Those were his big competitors. I mean, where are you now, Glazunov? <laughs> yeah. No one's doing your ballet at the Met every year, are they? <laughs> 
Well, I think we have to get to the the point of the episode being that it was on this day that it premiered mm. and it was not well and Someone's liked. got an eye on the format. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like we need to embrace it. I mean, actually, before we get into the reviews, Tchaikovsky himself had a kind of smirking pleasure over how poorly it went down, considering he didn't like it. You know, he'd already written that it was infinitely worse than Sleeping Beauty. And I'm like, way to dunk on yourself. <laughs> um, but then he wrote to a friend after the premiere on this day um, and said, Apparently, the opera gave pleasure, but the ballet not really. And as a matter of fact, in spite of all the sumptuousness, it did turn out to be rather boring. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, let's look at some of the reviews then. Here are some choice examples. In the first scene, the entire stage is filled with children who run about, blow their whistles, hop and jump are naughty and interfere with the oldsters dancing. In large amounts, this is unbearable. (laughs) Uh, Here's another. Neither the corpulent, podgy sugar plum fairy nor her bearded partner who had put on weight could produce model fairy tale characters. And thereby did not contribute to the success of the performance. That's a little personal. I think so. Uh, that, one, that one hits a little, yeah. yeah. I, I feel hard. like Quentin Letts would find a euphemism for that, don't you? <laughs> Corpulent feels too on it. <laughs> they did actually say positive things about Tchaikovsky's score. Some critics called it astonishingly rich in detailed inspiration. And from beginning to an end, some beautiful, melodious, original and characteristic music. So, you know, there was one thing they liked about it, which was his Marius Petipa was like, I gave such a good brief. (laughs) One person who was in the audience who did enjoy it was Sir Alexander III. He loved it, as well he might, because Tchaikovsky was his favourite composer anyway. It got him to write stuff for a lot of his official (laughs) events. And in an echo of his coronation feast, in the second act, there's this scene where people bring on different delicacies from around the world, which is quite baffling when you go to see it these days. Like, why is this happening? This is a praline. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. There's there's like uh, Chinese tea and Arabian coffee and chocolate from Spain. The reason that was happening was for the sole audience of Tsar Alexander III to say, look, what a celebration of Russian trade routes we've incorporated into this fairy tale. Oh, that's amazing. So that's why he loved it. Also, by the way, I think if you have to please one person in the audience... Make it the czar. Yeah. Make it the yeah. czar. If you, if you have to please two people, make it the czar and the, and the critic. chief critic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no one thought this was going to go on to be the show that would define not just his ballets, but ballet. Like, yeah. if you've never seen a ballet before and you're imagining ballet... I mean, okay, maybe you're imagining Swan Lake, so tick for him as well. Yeah. <laughs> but otherwise, you're imagining this, aren't yeah. you? And if you've only ever seen one ballet, it's this. And if you've only ever been in one ballet, it's this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it definitely wasn't an instant classic. A lot of people in the ballet world actually are not huge fans of The Nutcracker, or at least aren't fans of its all-consuming popularity. Yeah, which because I think it's, like, it's like Radiohead not wanting to perform Creep, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Like, it comes to where you have to acknowledge it well, is the one people I mean, want to see. I'm just is- trying to impress the czar, you guys. I don't care what everyone else thinks. <laughs> This episode first aired last year exclusively to members of Club Retrospectors. Join today and unlock a new episode this Sunday. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors! <laughs> Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.